so I'm with Simon Asherwood, just uh, right in front of me, um, who's the co-director of the think tank UK in a Changing Europe, and we're going to be talking about the deal or no deal um, today, and particularly of the current situation in Brexit. So what do you think, Simon, deal or no deal? It's the big question, isn't it, that we are here just a few weeks before the deadline for the process of leaving, and we still don't have a clear answer. I think still on balance, it's more likely that we'll have a deal because uh, the costs of a no deal look uh, really very big indeed. And I think that there's real concern in the UK that if we did leave without a deal, that there would be a lot of problems, even more than the problems we already face. Do you feel like this is a concern that most people feel? And in whose hands really is this deal choice located? For the general public, I think a lot of people just would like this problem to go away. A lot of people are very sick and tired of hearing about Europe, the EU, Brexit, uh, and they just want a resolution. Uh, amongst politicians, I think there's also a degree of exhaustion, but also I think real concern that there is a, an understanding of the issues involved, the complexities, uh, the costs of all of the choices uh, that there are. Uh, and I think at the moment, really, it, the issue rests in Parliament where MPs have to make a decision about what they're going to do. Are they going to uh, accept the deal that Theresa May has negotiated? Are they going to leave without a deal? Are they going to ask for more time in uh, Article 50? Or are they even going to say, we don't want to leave anymore? All of those are possibilities, but all of them are problematic in their own way. So you're asking all the questions that we're all asking ourselves. Do you, as an academic, uh, yourself and a thinker, have a hunch or rather a hope? Uh, a hunch is probably too strong. It's, it's very much a guess. And I think this has been one of the things that's very difficult, is that it's not been clear what different people are going to do and how votes are going to go. Uh, that this uh, is a highly uncertain uh, process. I think still it, it does look like a deal is the, the most likely outcome, but how you get there from here with the current uh, difficulties in Parliament I think is uh, a very hard uh, path uh, to follow. Either Theresa May has to uh, convince her own party that uh, her deal is the one to go for. Maybe she has some concessions from the EU, although that looks very unlikely. Or she has to work with the opposition uh, Labour Party, uh, which might well uh, look more uh, viable as an option, but clearly is uh, very difficult politically that her own backbench then, I think, will, will go into open revolt. So th the options are poor, whatever you do, and uh, costly, whatever you do. Uh, and I think that's really where the uncertainty comes. So in, in this situation where the costs are high regardless, what are the costs that you're most concerned with? I think they break down into to three main areas. I think firstly, there are the economic costs. What we know is that all of the economic research that we have available is that the harder the Brexit, uh, the bigger the costs. So the more disruption to trade, uh, the more that will disrupt uh, the economy, uh, particularly if you end up with a, a no-deal Brexit where all of the relationships uh, that we have uh, will fall uh, and have to be rebuilt piece by piece. 
linked to that, you have political costs that already uh, there are some difficult decisions about priorities, how this fits into bigger projects for what kind of country the UK wants to become uh, in itself and in the world. And then finally, you've got reputational costs. Already, I think the reputation of the UK has taken a, a very uh, bad uh, uh, a couple of years because I think everyone around the world looks at the UK and wonders what on earth is going on. So even if this is resolved, I think there will be a cost to, to the UK's uh, reputation uh, and that will take a, a long time to, to rebuild. And um, lastly, kind of taking from this perspective, knowing that you're aware of all these costs, do you feel like sometimes you get farther away from understanding the point of view of a Brexiteer in the first place? Or do you feel as though this is still accessible to you and you understand why one would have voted leave? I think one of the things that's been very uh, rewarding for me in this process of trying to help people understand is, is about listening to people. And yes, I do listen to a lot of people who remain, who are very passionate about that. Uh, and I do understand where they come from, the things that have motivated them. Um, and I think that's something that has been lost a lot in the public debate, that the, the division that came in the referendum three years ago has remained, that people identify more strongly with uh, their identity as a Lever or as a Remainer than they do with political parties now. Uh, mm. That's what the latest surveys are showing us. But uh, what that actually means is that you, you tend not to listen to the other side. It's I'm right and you're wrong. Uh, and I think as the last couple of years has shown, that's not really a recipe for finding solutions that are durable, resilient, uh, and likely to make people uh, feel that this whole process has been worthwhile.